especially uh, A Mighty Fortress and Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Uh, one of the most beautiful things to happen to me as a father, uh, then a grandfather, and then now a pastor, is to have my grandson, when he gets cranky and tired, and I pick him up and I hold him, which is the only time he really wants me to hold him, and he tucks his head on my shoulder, and his parents have instilled in him to sing worship songs every night, and he hums, Come Thou Fount. I'm not kidding. He's 14 months old, and he hums, Come Thou Fount. He even changes melody. I just think it's a beautiful thing. has absolutely nothing to do with today's sermon, but I just wanted to share that with you. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to the first Sunday of our services where at Veritas we'll be celebrating Advent. A lot of this stuff is going to be just repeats of what Tom already told you. Forgive me, Tom. You did a great job. I just uh, I have it written, so i got to say it. Uh, uh, so we're, we're going to be celebrating uh, Advent through our sermon messages and hopefully through our traditions on the home front. Uh, the season of Advent, Pastor Eric is still recovering from back surgery. I don't see him here today. I thought he might be, but no. And uh, hopefully he's doing okay, yes? Yes, Mrs. Meyer shakes her head. Yes, he's doing well. And so please keep him in your prayers for a good recovery. And for those of you who are new to Veritas and for you members, uh, let me give you a brief schedule of the events to come at Sunday worship for the month of December. So as I've said, we celebrate Advent. And included in my sermon message, I'll give you a little description of what that's about. But generally speaking, we'll be covering the four themes of Advent, and those are, beginning with today's message, hope, followed by love, and then joy, and then finally, peace, in accordance with the tradition or the traditional order of the celebrations of the past Protestant church. <clears throat> in the past, the church has celebrated one theme for each week, the ones I just told you of, and those celebrations would culminate on Christmas Day. The word Christmas, I was taught as a Roman Catholic boy, means the coming of Christ. So you can call me on that, you theologians, if I'm wrong about that. That's what I was taught. Uh, I think it's uh, no coincidence that Advent is the arrival of Christ and the coming of Christ as well. Uh, and we at Veritas will be encouraging you to attend the culmination of our celebrations on Christmas Eve right here at the church at 6.30, and that'll be leaving you to celebrate Christmas Day at home with your families. Uh, on a personal note, my family, for the first time in 10 years, will not be celebrating Christmas Eve with you, but rather we will be in Southern California celebrating with Rebecca, my daughter-in-law's family, uh, and also as guests of uh, Reformed Baptist Church of Riverside, whom you heard me pray for. Uh, please keep us in your prayers. We've never in 32 years of marriage been out of our home on Christmas Day, other than just to travel across town for a dinner. And uh, I don't fly well. You can pray about that. And, uh, but we're, we're guests of our loving family down in Southern California and of that church, and, and we're very, very grateful. Uh, as Tom said earlier, in order to help you celebrate the Advent season, we have the booklets uh, that can help you and your families celebrate the Advent season. Different theme for each week, some passages of scripture, some song, some uh, small devotionals, and I encourage you to buy those booklets. I encourage you, go get one today if you don't have one already. And we're charging $2 just to cover the cost of the printing. Okay, I need to start preaching to you now on the theme of hope so that I can get you all out by lunch. Um, 
I've got a lot to cover, and I can't do a bit of it without the help of the Holy Spirit. So let's bow our heads now in prayer. Father God, I do pray for your intervention today in the delivery of the sermon message. That I would not confuse but exhort the listener properly shepherding the flock of Christ Jesus. May your Holy Spirit awaken the listener that the brethren would be properly shepherded and that the lost would be saved. In the name of the one and only true living hope, the Savior of the universe, Jesus the Christ. Amen. So when I'm preaching on Advent, a word that means arrival, and in this context is referring to the arrival or the coming of the Christ child to the earth, will be taking on the themes of hope, love, joy, and peace. And we believe as a church that without Christ, there is no hope. Without Christ, there is no love. Without Christ, no joy. And without Christ, no peace. At least not in an eternal sense. Not in a sense in which God would have us think of or use those terms. Uh, there are, of course, the earthly sense of those words. That is, the words used in a sense that represent the fulfillment of our temporal desires. Physical needs being met. Physical affections that fill us with gratuitous feelings that make us feel good, compassionate, warm, or earthly happiness, or a world without arguments or wars. Those would be those words fulfilled in an earthly sense. And each one of those senses would only last a very short period of time. Our lives are like a drop in the bucket compared to God's eternity for us. You'll feel old one day if you're 20-something. Then when you're 60-something, you'll feel old suddenly, and, but it will seem like that time went by just like that. And kids, right now it seems like forever until Christmas, but one day, I heard a yes over here, but one day it will feel like Wow, how many Christmases have gone past, and it's just fleeting. It goes by so quickly. So really enjoy it, Mr. Yes, over here. Really enjoy your time as a youth. So the temporal sense of these words lasts for just a short period of time, in that in the eyes of godly men and women, and in the eyes of God. So we're going to define the terms according to God's sense, or at least I'm going to take on hope today. And we mean the words hope in a sense which are described in God's holy word, the Bible. Or we mean them in a sense that has to do with the gospel of salvation. We mean hope in an everlasting sense. We mean love in a sense that leads us to the love and worship of God Almighty. And while I'm going to leave each of you, or each of the succeeding pastors in the following weeks, to define the words according to each one's message to you, I'm here to take on the theme of hope today. And so I'm here to take on the theme of hope in a way that is an eternal and living hope. It's a hope that can only be brought on by the arrival of and the subsequent death and resurrection of the living Savior, Jesus Christ, the righteous. It's by no coincidence, I'm sure, that I've been preaching to you for the better part of the last two years uh, at intervals of about every three months about hope. 
I've been preaching to you about hope, a living hope from the epistle of 1 Peter. Uh, and this is an epistle that was constructed to do just that, which is to bring us hope. And though the commentators of old, and even Paul, the apostle, use words such as exhortation, which means to encourage or advise us through education of the scriptures, the meaning is the same. Uh, the epistle was written to instill hope in us, and that's hope for a lifetime, an eternal lifetime, not just for a day and not just for a holiday season. I want to quote from our Advent devotional uh, before I go to our text today. This quote is from William Gurnall. I hope I've pronounced that correctly, and I have no idea who this man is, but I think you'll agree when you hear this quote that it is defining the Christian. Hope fills the afflicted soul with such inward joy and consolation that it can laugh while tears are in the eye, sigh and sing all in a breath, it is called the rejoicing of hope. Love that quote. I don't know where Pastor Eric found that. I don't know about all of you, but it sounds like the description of sorrowful but always rejoicing, which is the very description of somebody who's been born again into Christ. Uh, I'd also like to give you a definition uh, that I'd like to apply for hope for the day. And this is for both secular and for Christian belief purposes. I want to define the word hope today as man's desire for his future. Man's desire for his future. That's how I'm going to define hope today. Uh, so let's go, to, let's go to our text today. Uh, turn in your Bibles to the epistle of First Peter, if you haven't done that already. Uh, chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. I'm going to read all the way down to verse 13. And listen, you kids who've joined us now, Logan, that means you. Um, you're in big church now. So I'd like you to follow along with your eyes if your parents will, will turn in their Bibles to First Peter uh, because you're going to be reading his words and God is literally talking to you, kids, by you reading his words. And I'll read and you can follow along with your eyes. And if you don't understand the words, you can ask mom and dad for help after church or you can come up and ask me. Um, for anyone who's using one of the church Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 1 can be found on page 953. So I'm not hearing pages turn, assuming everybody's there. So here we go. We're going to read along. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace 
that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, and this is the crowning glory of today's message, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been a reading from the Holy Letter from God to his precious children and to his would-be children. Did you read along, kids? Did you read along? So. So it's my hope, that's not a pun, to show you that the main reason that we should celebrate Advent or the arrival of Christ is that he came to give us a living hope. I'll repeat that. It's my hope to show you at the outcome of today's sermon that the main reason we should celebrate Advent is because he came to give us a living hope. The final sentence in today's passage is both an exhortation and a command from the living God through Peter. And also it is my latest in a series of sermon messages that I'm giving on 1 Peter. It's been quite a few months since I did that now. So in relation to the progression of the gospel message, I'm going to do things a little backwards. Uh, I learned from Pastor Eric, all of us did, to review where we've already been. Uh, So I'm going to go through the text I've already preached on by way of review, and I'm going to exposit our new text. That would be verses 10 through 13, by the way, uh, for the sake of truth. And then I'm going to go and return to the roots of the gospel to show you why we need this living hope, which is our reason for celebrating this season. First, I preach to you, that the, beginning with 1 Peter 1, 3, that God Almighty, the creator of the universe, caused us to be born again, spiritually born again to eternal life through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus the Christ. And it's this very thing that gives us our hope. And that's, the, that's what that message was, was trying to get across. And he calls it our living hope. I called it a new hope compared to our earthly hope, our old hope. Ephesians 2 that said that before we had this living hope, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, spiritually dead and uneven, excuse me, unable to even respond for godly purposes. We could not in and of ourselves say, God, save me, or Jesus, please come into my heart before that awakening occurred, before the Holy Spirit came into our heart and caused us to be born again. We could not even respond to God in a holy manner. Even our good deeds would be considered filthy rags before a holy God. Next, I preach to you from 1 Peter that you have an inheritance from God, not like any earthly inheritance, not like a monetary inheritance or a piece of jewelry, a plot of land that passes away or turns to dust with the passage of years and days, but rather it's a heavenly inheritance. Uh, It's that which can never pass away because it's being kept in heaven, guarded 
by the very creator of the universe, God Almighty. And it can never be perverted. Perverted here meaning used for evil. It can never be destroyed. It is, in fact, your final salvation. That's your inheritance. And no one nor anything can ever take it from you. In fact, your inheritance is your living hope. In my following message, and in fact, the last message I preached to you, I conveyed that for those who are in Christ, there will be trials, either continuously or intermittently, from the time you were first converted till the time of your earthly passing away or death. And I even gave you some graphic examples of what those trials might look like, and I was using the things that the members of Veritas were going through. I preached to you that the trials were given to you by God in order to produce in you and to reveal in you the godly character that now exists since becoming born again. And that these trials, for those who finish the race of faith, would result in your receiving a crown of glory, your final salvation at the next arrival of Christ. Which, by the way, is another form of Advent. We are currently in a season of another Advent. We're waiting for Christ to return. Not this time as a lowly babe in a manger either, but rather as the judge of the universe. He will come with power. He will destroy everything and everyone that is wicked, and he will draw you unto himself. That's our living hope. Uh, so before I go to today's text, our latest text, I just wanted to bring you back for a moment. I'm trying to prove to you that the main reason we should celebrate the advent or the arrival of Christ is that he came to give us a living hope. I just wanted to keep you on track. Maybe I just wanted to keep me on track. Let's move on to the true heart of today's text. That's the latest text in my series on 1 Peter. Uh, I'll be breaking down chapter 1, verses 10 to 13. So if you want to make sure your eyes are focused there, starting in verse 10, follow along with your eyes if you wish. Here it is, the word of God. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. Let's break that down first. So here in verses 10 and 11, we have the Spirit of Christ. We know him as the Holy Spirit. It's revealing to the prophets of old, specifically I would say, I'm going to use Isaiah today, that Christ would suffer and die for our salvation. For those of you that don't know this, Isaiah walked the earth 800 years before the birth of Christ. And so these predictions are being made then. These are the same prophets that were at the same time, by the way, predicting the birth of Christ unto the world. In Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 7, respectively, uh, let's turn there. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7, if you would, please. I'll be quoting verse 14 there today, but I'd like to, I'd like to have you turn there so you can follow along with your eyes. Uh, in the church Bibles, by the way, that is on page 535. That's Isaiah 7, verse 14. Okay. Here it is now, the word of God. Therefore, 
the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's a reading from the word of the Lord in Isaiah 7. And so we're talking about Mary. Most of you know that, but if you're an unbeliever here today, you might not know that. But most, even unbelievers, know about the birth of Christ and why we celebrate Christmas as a Christian. And they're talking about Mary, the virgin, who will bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Again, this is 800 years before Christ was born. Now, if you'll please turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53. I'll be reading verses 1 to 5. That can be found on pages 575 and 576 in your church Bibles. I think it's really important that we we see the words. So Isaiah 53, 1 to 5, which predicts Christ's death and sufferings. Who has believed what he's heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds... We are healed. All that in a nutshell was talking about Jesus. And when they say he grew up like a plant, like a root out of dry ground, he he came to the earth which was destitute for holiness. We were completely without God. We had the law, but we did not truly have the grace of God yet. He hadn't come yet. He grew up holy. He was man and God, and he, he stood out only in spirit, but he didn't stand out in form. He had no majesty or beauty that we should desire to look at him. It means he just looked like the average Joe. He was despised by men and acquainted with grief. What could a sinful or evil man do with the Son of God but despise him? We knew not how to love him. And he was pierced for our transgressions. So he was pierced with the nails. Those of you that know the the death story. And he was pierced with the sword. He was crushed. He was beaten. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. The chastisement is the discipline from the Lord God. Jesus received our punishment in our place. And with that, his wounds, excuse me, and with his wounds, we are healed. It doesn't mean healed in a physical sense, like from a cut, kids, uh, or that we were sick and we're now well. It means that our soul was healed unto salvation for those who would believe. Again, those were the passages that predict Christ's death. 
So here we were, the men of old were predicting Christ's birth and Christ's death, all in the same sense of years, all in the same period of time. Uh, these were men to whom God spoke either directly or through his Holy Spirit, which is the same thing, and all of this predicted some 800 years before the birth of Christ. Uh, it says the prophets investigated to the best of their abilities and knowledge when all these events would occur, because at that time it was not revealed to them. I want to go to the term subsequent glories, subsequent glories in verses 10 to 13 said that through his death and resurrection, there would be subsequent glories. So what does that mean? It means the glories that would happen as the result of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. First of all, the first glory would go to Christ himself. He would be glorified. He would be raised from the dead. He would be raised into the sky and given the throne that resides over the entire universe from the Father God. He's glorified. And what about you, Christian? Would you receive any of those subsequent glories? I'll say. You'd be saved. It says you would receive a crown of glory. It's referring to your final salvation. Your body would also be glorified, changed and made new from the moment of your conversion and also at your final salvation. And that's what these passages are mostly referring to. So you're born again. You have a new spirit. God is giving you a heart of flesh from a heart of stone, and you think about everything differently. That's your immediate transformation. But finally, your transformation will, you will also raise from the grave. Your body, once you die, will decay in the earth. And then when Christ comes back again, Christian, your body will raise from the grave and be united with your spirit, which has been at rest with Christ this whole time. And you will receive a new body, a spiritual body. So you receive also subsequent glories. Okay, let's read on verse 12 now. Again, that's 1 Peter. We're back to 1 Peter now, back out of the Old Testament. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. That's my favorite. No. So first of all, the prophets of old were told by the Holy Spirit that the full revelation of their prophecies were for us, not for them. They were for New Testament believers. God here is also stating that even his angels desire to fully understand all that would be accomplished through his plan of salvation, through the plan of Christ's sufferings. I don't know about you, but I think that's amazing. The second most powerful supernatural beings in the universe did not have revealed to them what we have had revealed to us, we New Testament believers in Christ. Christ has come now. He's died and he's been raised and he's glorified and he's caused us to be born again and we reap the benefit. Though God harvested, if you will, the prophets of old and saved them and they're being waited for that final day of revelation in Christ. Also, we saw the whole story unfold. And even though we did not see 
the birth, death, and resurrection of Christ physically, we have the entire book of prophecy, the entire book of Scripture. So we really benefited in a way. So how should we respond to this? How should this make us feel? How should we react to the fact that men to whom God spoke directly over 2,000 years ago were directly used by God Almighty to serve New Testament gospel believers in 2019? We've all agreed through our response to the teaching of God's word here at Veritas that we were dead in our sins and trespasses before he saved us. How should we respond to this favor? I think down on the ground with our faces to the ground with fear of God, humility towards God and towards one another and towards your fellow man, even your enemies. The entire epistle of 1 Peter was written to bring humility to the believer through exhortation. Let's read the final exhortation today and a key point about hope that I wanted to drive home. Uh, and we're going to go to verse 13 now. That's 1 Peter 1.13. And this also tells us how we are to respond to God's holy favor. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This statement is so all-encompassing. Peter uh, had just got through telling us that we would endure trials, trials that in some cases would lead to death. Some were being tortured in his day and then hung on crosses and set on fire. This happened in Peter's lifetime. And he's talking to these people saying, get ready. Be sober-minded. Don't worry. And then he builds our confidence in God by saying that the God of all creation favored us even over great men of old and angels. So don't worry, but get ready. Get ready. Prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. This means that we're not to get involved in anything that will distract us from our gospel purpose. Nothing. No drunkenness, or in our day, of course, drugs, or any evil habit or form of medicine, psychology, psychiatry, anything that distracts from the gospel keeps us from being sober-minded. I'm not saying to not take the medicine the doctor gave you, folks. So uh, I'm not saying don't, don't, don't walk away with that. I am saying don't do anything that distracts you from your gospel purpose, from your final salvation. And place your hope in that final salvation. That's your exhortation for the day. Paul might say it this way, as you're running the race of faith, keep your eye on the finish line. This kind of hope that he speaks of here is a hope that sees beyond the current joys. It sees beyond your pains and your debilitation. It sees beyond your earthly desires. Remember that definition for hope today, man's desire for the future, because they're all going to pass away. It's a living hope that you already have. 
if you're truly in Christ, for it's the hope that says you've been born again and that there's an inheritance waiting for you that's beyond what any man can imagine and what no earthly joy can compare to. So by way of transition, and I don't know if I want to call this my conclusion yet, let's talk about the arrival of Christ. How's that for a smooth transition? Not. The arrival of Christ, spoken of in the Gospels, is a magnificent thing. It cannot be understated, nor can it be imagined by any human mind, that God Almighty took a lowly virgin. And you may have heard that term a million times. Lowly, mostly in the Bible, refers to a person who's in a humble status, not financially set, not royalty, poor, possibly, economically, definitely poor in spirit, we read in his gospel. So God took a lowly virgin and through his spirit planted in her kids the seed that is his own son, miraculously planted his own son inside the body of a woman and not through sexual relations with a man. Sorry, parents, didn't warn you on that one. Mary, not being a woman of wealth, though through God's spirit became the most revered woman of all time, not a woman of royalty, yet gave birth to the king of the universe. The whole event is a thing to be celebrated. The advent of Christ. On the night of the Christ child's birth, an angel army, we're told in the Gospels, announced his arrival, announced it from the sky to shepherds on the hillside in the surrounding country. Yet you notice that it, wasn't announced, it was only announced to the poor and the humble. It didn't announce it in the city or in king's palaces or amongst the wealthy. Why? Because Christ did not come as a warrior king that particular time. On a mighty horse with a sword drawn, slaying the enemies of his suppressed peoples. Though he will come to physically overthrow the governments of the world one day when he returns. And he's already overthrown them in spirit through his death and resurrection. He came instead as a humble and lowly king. Though he had the power of God at his beck and call, he came to overthrow man's worst enemy, himself. He came to destroy the works of the devil, the scriptures say, which is sin. His fight was not, at that time anyway, against flesh and blood, but against the powers of darkness that would keep all flesh and blood from the Lord their God in spirit. He came to exalt the humble and destroy pride and eventually the proud. That is the sense of pride and those who retain it. He came to die for our sins. Without the death and resurrection of Christ and the subsequent glories spoken of in these passages, that is, the glorifying of the Father through saving us, we wouldn't be celebrating the arrival of Christ at all. Why? Because he would have just come as a judge. If he did not come to die for our sins and be raised, he would have come as a judge, and we would have no standing with God. 
we wouldn't be celebrating. We'd have no hope. Why? So the answer's in the scriptures. And if you're an unbeliever here today, you need to hear this. And you saints, you need to hear this again. In the book of Genesis, God told us of how he created the world with all of its magnificent creatures and its attributes. The stars, the sun, the moon, the entire universe, all the galaxies, beautiful animals. And in Genesis 2, God describes how he made man in detail and as the crowning glory of his creation. And now, excuse me, and how he told man he was to walk in obedience to God. And he gave man everything that he ever needed or should ever desire or hope for. Giving him only one command not to disobey. Man at that point had no need for hope. Man at that point had no need for hope. He was fulfilled in God. In Genesis 3, man did in fact break the command of God. And at that point, God fulfilled another promise that he had made to his creation. Being a just God, he promised man that upon his disobedience to God, he must suffer both a physical and a spiritual form of death, a death that would separate man from God because God is holy, perfect. God did, in fact, carry out that sentence by casting man away from his presence, both physically and and spiritually, condemning man to numbered years on the earth, after which he was to die and be separated from God eternally, and his spirit was to endure eternal punishment, conscious eternal punishment. Separation from God, yes, but also a form of punishment that is pretty much described as torture in God's words. For the first time ever, man needed hope. Hope to be saved from an eternal form of death that would be so terrible he could never imagine it. But being a merciful God, and this began also in Genesis 3, he had also promised to send a rescuer, a savior. And although man did not know it at the time, or even for millennia, to come. Millennia means a thousand years, kids. So many thousand years. That rescuer would come in the form of God's own son and would rescue man from God's just punishment, his wrath. The rescuer is and was the one we speak of today, Jesus Christ. Born a babe in a manger on that Christmas night all those years ago. He's the one Who's coming, we're celebrating beginning at this time every year. We're celebrating the Advent because of him. Jesus, being both God and man, lived a perfect and sinless life so that he would become the ransom payment for the sinful lives that we have lived and would live. And for our sinful character which was passed on to us from the first man to last, all except Jesus, because he was born both man and God. God the Father fulfilled his promise by arranging to have his own son sacrificed for us, executed, crucified, which means hung 
on a cross. Jesus then taking the sins of the world with him upon his death, promising salvation, he was also raised from the dead, both physically and spiritually, defeating even death and reconciling God the Father with all who would believe the facts that I've told you today when they heard it preached to them or when they read it in God's holy scriptures. It's the gospel of salvation. You can't separate the death and resurrection of Jesus from the birth of Jesus, nor would we celebrate the birth of Jesus without his subsequent death and resurrection, which saves us. The arrival and the death and the resurrection is our living hope. It's the only hope we have. So, when you place your lights on the house, and you should, when you dress the tree, and that's just fine, when you purchase gifts if you're able, and you can take joy in that, let it be because of the magnificent birth and because of the glorious death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was and is and always will be our living hope. I'd like to give you one more scripture concerning hope. And I wrapped up one of my last sermons with this one as well. If you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. And I am sorry I did not get the, the page from the church Bible for that. And here it is. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray. Father God, I do praise you for the Advent season. I do praise you for the arrival of Christ. For without it, we would not have the death and resurrection of Christ. And without that, we would have no hope at all. Let us find our hope and our peace, in our love, in our joy, in Christ. Let us hope for all of that this season. Let us find our love and our joy and our peace and our hope in your holy words, for that is what we have left behind physically that we can see, that we can participate in every day, that which will bring us confidence and joy and hope, peace, love. Father, may the listener be exhorted if they are your flock. May the lost be saved by these messages. In the name of Christ, I do pray. Amen.